You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. And maybe your Tuesday is off to a bad start and you need a little pick-me-up. If that's the case, have a listen to this caller on WEEI 97.3 Boston Sports Radio, the Greg Hill Show from Monday morning. Are you serious with this? You think the Patriots need a new what? Listen, the Patriots, the, the, the rookie wall, there's no such thing as a rookie wall with this kid. He's got a rag arm. He couldn't throw in that windstorm. The other guy threw the ball all over the park. And then yesterday proved it. Receivers, no receivers. Skill players, no skill receivers. The kid playing quarterback ain't our future. The future of the NFL is over in Buffalo. That guy, six foot four, 230, runs right by you, throws it 90 yards. And the other thing I want to say is Belichick hasn't won butt kiss without Tom Brady. So to, to be overinflated on this Bill Belichick, great defense, let's run the ball. Yeah, Bill Parcells did that back in the 80s. So that, is that where we're going here with this team? Come on, it's over. AFC goes through Buffalo for 20 years, not us. It's over. Wow. Wow, Bobby, bringing the high heat. Tough time to be a Bills fan, eh? Welcome to Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you take control of our discussion by sending in questions, comments, concerns, whatever you have regarding the Buffalo Bills, and I respond to them here on the podcast. And we have a ton of good stuff to get into, but overwhelmingly, your questions were about Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley, and what it all means. And so, let's start with that. I'm going to read the question from Chris, and like I said, so many different people asked a very similar question. Chris says, McKinsey had quite the performance. I'm wondering what you saw from him. Do you think it's sustainable? To be more blunt, do you think he could take over for Cole Beasley? I know he said they played him the same way they played Cole. Just wondering if you saw the same. Let's face it. Cole's availability has not been his best ability this season, and that slot role is important for this team. Plus, McKinsey adds the speed and jet sweeps and other options to this offense. So obviously, we're all very satisfied with what we saw from Isaiah McKenzie. He had a great game against New England. I want to see more Isaiah McKenzie. I don't know how you watch that football game and think anything differently. But before we bury Cole Beasley, who has been probably the best slot receiver in the NFL over the last several seasons, let's pump the brakes a little bit because Cole Beasley is an outstanding football player who does a great job of reading coverage, catching the football, and being productive for this Bills offense. The sample size of him doing that is very large. Now, I fully understand the intrigue that exists with Isaiah McKenzie, and I'm there with you. I'd like to see this offense going with both of these guys making contributions because clearly every time McKenzie gets that chance, he delivers. A career day against New England, And then go back to week 17 versus Miami last year. Six catches, 75 yards, and two touchdowns. 
he certainly flashed enough to the degree that we'd want to see more of him in this offense. And so for the rest of the way this year, when Cole Beasley gets back, I want to see both of these guys going. That's what really gets me excited. It's Davis and Diggs and Beasley and McKenzie and Knox. I want it all. I'm greedy. I want all of these guys having a role. Now, the bigger question is probably the future. And we all know about the cap savings that exist with Cole Beasley. The Bills can move on from him after the season and free up a tick over $6 million in cap space. And that's a pretty big deal for a team that only is projected to have around $13 million in available cap space. And so let's let the sample size grow. Let's see Isaiah McKenzie in an expanded role the rest of the way before we sit here and say, all right, that's I've seen enough. Cole Beasley's got to go. Let's get him out of town, and let's give the slot role to Isaiah McKenzie. Because right now, that's not a decision you have to make. You can enjoy both of them the rest of the way. And so let's do that and see how it goes. And if Isaiah McKenzie forces the issue, then he forces the issue. But I'm willing to be patient here and allow this sample size to grow because you don't have to make that decision today. You've got two more regular season games and hopefully several postseason games. Let's let it play out. But the appeal here is that Isaiah McKenzie continues to flash. He obviously has responded well to how the coaching staff has handled him and came through on a big, big stage. The follow-up here that I want to get into came from Sean, and Sean brings up a question that I'm sure many of you guys have. Sean says, is it an indictment on the coaching staff not recognizing and using Isaiah McKenzie in the way they did yesterday a lot sooner? Now, I think you can probably convince yourself that it is, but I can also convince myself that Isaiah McKenzie needed to go through everything he's gone through as a football player to be in position to produce like he did on Sunday. And I'm talking everything from leaving Georgia early, going to the Denver Broncos, having all the blunders that he had there, coming to Buffalo, providing a little bit of a spark, but showing a lot of inconsistency, flashing, and then getting more opportunity and delivering. And it was probably a big deal for him to be stripped of those return duties so that he can focus on playing receiver. And so let's make sure we are being mindful of Marquez Stevenson's role in making all of this possible. And so the good news is it appears the Bills have options, and there's another young player for this offense emerging. So everything right now is a net positive. Let's let it play out. Let's enjoy both of these players and see what happens. The next one today comes from Christian, and this is a good layer to add to this receiver discussion. Christian says, after his drop in production in the past months, I'm curious to know what your thoughts on what to do with Emmanuel Sanders and the wide receiver two position in the offseason is. He hasn't had a five-catch game since week six or a touchdown since week five. If Sanders doesn't retire, would you want a one-year deal again, sign a vet, draft a guy on day two or three, and hope Davis can be wide receiver two? What is your ideal situation and your predictive analysis? So I do want the Bills to have a player like Emmanuel Sanders. The idea of Emmanuel Sanders is very intriguing to me. And maybe the wheels are kind of falling off with Sanders. He's 
Definitely not been able to help this team in a while. He's had some blunders. I'm frustrated with Emmanuel Sanders. And he hasn't done anything of late to convince or inspire me that he should be back on the team next year. Again, I like the idea of what he brings. I love the leadership. There's good things about Emmanuel Sanders, but he's not necessarily making plays right now. So I'd like to see the Bills go after a veteran receiver to add to this mix, but I'm gaining more and more confidence in Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox, Isaiah McKenzie, even Cole Beasley to be the core nucleus of weapons in the passing game. Now add a savvy veteran to the mix there, and I'm really satisfied. But more than the wide receiver stuff, you know I want to keep the cupboard full of receivers for Josh Allen? I want to see investments in this offensive line and take advantage of the depth of the upcoming wide receiver class. We recently updated our top 100 prospects at the Draft Network, and 13 of those top 100 prospects are wide receivers. There's good receivers to be had in this coming draft. And so I think the Bills should continue to use their early draft picks on players that can help in the trenches and then take advantage of the depth of the wide receiver class to add some young talent in the middle rounds. The next one today comes from Derek, who says, this one is more about the Panthers game, where they went one for two on two-point conversions. I know we stopped them on the second one, but after the first attempt succeeded, I was complaining to my brothers how it seems teams always succeed in two-point conversions against the Bills. So I was wondering, what is the national average success rate for two-point conversions over the last couple of years? And then what is the success rate for teams against the Bills in that same stretch? I might be way off base, but I feel teams have historically had way too much success against the Bills when attempting them. So the average for two-point conversion success rate is about 50%. Now the Bills have not been very good at defending two-point conversions. I have shared in your frustration. So far this year, they are allowing a conversion on 60% of the chances that is 18th in the NFL. In 2020, they were 23rd in the NFL at 67% conversion rate against them. In 2019, they were very poor, 25th in the NFL, 86%. And then actually in 2018 and 2017, they were very good. In 2018, they were second in the NFL at 20%. And in 2017, they were first at 0%. And so across the last three seasons, the Bills have been below average when it comes to stopping two-point conversions against them. Derek had a second question that's a good one. He said, we've seen Josh at times struggle not to get overhyped heading into huge games, and he starts off too wired and is missing throws or trying to do too much. That's something you've talked about before. Against the Pats yesterday, however, he seemed so poised right out of the gate, and he proceeded to play a masterful game where he was clearly very high intensity, but he didn't let the moment get too big for him. So do you think we may have seen him turn the corner yesterday when it comes to those issues? I think this is a great talking point to bring up, Derek, in the way Josh Allen played against New England is everything I've ever wanted to see from him. He was patient. He took checkdowns. He took his chances down the field, but very wisely. He blended decisiveness with aggressiveness. He was masterful. 
I am so satisfied with the way he played quarterback. And I think that's the best version of Josh Allen. You see the runs, you see the throws down the field, but you also see him just simply take what the defense gives him and keep the offense ahead of the sticks and keep them on schedule. It was a masterful job by Josh Allen. And obviously, Bill Belichick didn't think he could do it. He didn't think Josh Allen could be patient and stick with it. But he did. It was fine quarterbacking by Josh Allen against New England, and it really encapsulated everything I've tried to communicate about what I want to see from Josh Allen on a consistent basis moving forward. And so let's hope this is the new normal. And not that the old normal, right, whatever the old normal would be compared to the New England game on Sunday, but this type of play, these types of decisions, this type of risk assessment playing the position is what the Bills really need out of Josh for them to reach their goals and, you know, win big-time playoff games and hoist that Lombardi trophy someday. The next one today comes from Andy, who says, other than the Bucks last season, have there been any other notable teams who were disappointing for much of the season just to go on a heater to end the season and win the Super Bowl? The last 10 quarters seem like the best Buffalo has played this season. And so I obviously didn't go through and research every single Super Bowl champion, but these are the teams that come to mind for me, and I think there are several good examples and we will start with the team Andy mentioned, the 2020 Buccaneers. They were 7-5 and five with a 38-3 loss at home to the Saints. They went on a run and won the Super Bowl. In 2012, the Ravens, they were 10-6. and six. They lost four of their last five games, then got hot in the playoffs and won the Super Bowl. The 2011 Giants, they were 7-7. Seven and seven. They got hot at the end. They finished 9-7 and seven and beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And then the 2007 Giants, they were 0-2. Then they won six in a row to get to 6-2. and Then went 4-4 four and four down the stretch. Got hot in the playoffs. Won four straight playoff games on the road, including the Super Bowl win over the Patriots. And so those are the four teams that I thought had notable moments of disappointment, but got hot at the right time and went on to win the Super Bowl. The next one comes from Adam, who says, I have a bit of a weird question for this week, considering the Bills didn't punt. It may not be fitting for herd mentality, but may be good for you next time you talk about Matt Hawk. I remember you saying in a previous episode that the Bills like Hawk because he's left-footed. What's the reason for that? Is it because of Ferguson, the protection on special teams? Genuinely curious. I'd also love to hear about any Bills-related gifts you got for Christmas. I got a Bills starter jacket, and it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I love those, uh, those Bills starter jackets. I- I'd like to have one myself. All right, let's answer both of those questions, starting with the left-footed punter, Matt Hawk. And the Bills do prefer their punters to be left-footed. Corey Bajorquez was left-footed. Matt Hawk is left-footed. The Patriots are another team that prefer left-footed punters. And what it really comes down to is the overwhelming majority of punters are right-footed. And so when you have a left-footed punter, the ball spins differently. And the reason that's important is because it's a different spin for the punt returner. And it's just a little bit different in terms of fielding the punt, in terms of the way that it hits your hands and hits your body. And so it's all about that different spin that is against the grain 
from the typical right-footed punters that you see throughout the league. And so it's just one of those very small details that the Buffalo Bills subscribe to to try and give them a slight competitive advantage. And that's just Sean McDermott, right? He has the offense in practice switch their jersey color every week based on the color of jersey that they're going to play in that week in the game. So that way their eyes are accustomed to seeing that white or that blue or that red. It's a detail thing and it's something that could potentially give you a competitive advantage. As for any Bills related gifts that I got for Christmas this year, there is something that I really liked that I got. And it's not necessarily a Bills related gift, but it is a Buffalo related gift. My mother in law bought me a custom made pillow that has a Buffalo on it. And maybe that doesn't sound that cool to you, but it's a really good looking pillow that I have in my office that sits on my chair. And if you want to see a picture of it, I posted one to the Locked On Bills Twitter at Locked On Bills. So you can find it on there and see this pillow. It goes great in my office. I really like it. And uh, I've tried to tweet a little bit more from that Locked On Bills account. And again, not just stuff that you would normally see on my regular Twitter at the Joe Marino. More specific things that are unique to the Locked On Bills Twitter account. And I let my hair down a little bit on the account. So check it out. Hit that follow button and uh, see what I'm doing over there. But again, that was the uh, the Buffalo related gift that I really enjoyed this year. I'm always looking for things to add to my office. I have a nice space in our house that I'm able to kind of set up the way that I want it to. The wife doesn't tell me what I can and can't do in the office. And so it's my space in the house and it allows me to just kind of get in the zone and focus in on my work. And obviously I've got some Bill's things and some Buffalo related things for the office. And so I really enjoyed that present. B Mormon 2020 says the O line played well today, which was unexpected. Are they fixed? Seems hard to believe. As players get healthy, what moves do you make and what do you leave as is? So the offensive line that I am most interested in seeing the rest of the way is Deion Dawkins at left tackle, Ryan Bates at left guard, Mitch Morse at center, Daryl Williams at right guard, and Spencer Brown at right tackle. I think that's the Bills' best five, considering Ike Bakker is out for the season, and I'm pretty underwhelmed with Cody Ford. I may see if Feliciano is an upgrade to Bates, but right now, to me, that left guard job is Ryan Bates to lose. So that's what I would do in terms of the offensive line moving forward. Matt says, should Tyler Bass not be kicking touchbacks as much? It seems like the Bills do a great job of covering kicks and have a lot invested in special teams only players, primarily special teamers. When there isn't a touchback, it seems like drives are starting inside the 20. I'll be honest with you, I think the Bills do a really good job of managing this. There are times where you do want to dare them to return it and tackle them inside the 25, and the Bills, for the most part, do a phenomenal job at that. Now, they also pick their spots in ask Tyler Bass to do a touchback, which we know if Tyler Bass wants to kick a touchback, he will kick a touchback. He's got that type of leg. But I think what it comes down to sometimes is not giving them a spark. And obviously you want to trust your ability to cover kicks and you have a lot invested on your personnel to cover kicks and punts. 
but it's also sometimes just worth it to have them start at the 25 and not give them any type of a spark or a big play. It's tough enough to get big plays against your defense. Don't give them one on special teams where one guy's out of their line and they can gash you and start way down the field or even worse, score. And so I think it's about picking your spots and making sure that you don't give them a spark. Bet Online has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to their new updated website and sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code Locked On to receive that bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, and Bet Online is where the game starts. The next one today comes from Jock Doc, who says, Happy Victory Monday to you! Speaking for Bills Mafia, this fits in the All I Want for Christmas category big time. Joe, you've spoken before about Tom Brady always finding something to play for. Excluding Allen, Poyer, and Hyde from the Pro Bowl is a travesty. How about a Super Bowl ring instead? Put that chip on your shoulder and go get it. Yes, absolutely. I do talk about this a lot because we've seen Tom Brady win the Super Bowl a billion times. And you know what he says every time he's holding up that Lombardi trophy? He says something along the lines of, they counted us out. They said we couldn't do it. They said we couldn't get back here. They said we were too old. Well, we're here. Every time, right? You hear Nick Saban at Alabama winning national championship after national championship, manufacturing that chip. Like, hey, nobody's, nobody's ruling you out, Tom Brady. That's not true. Like, that's not a thing. But the best athletes, the best teams find ways to manufacture that chip on their shoulder. And every one of those players you just mentioned, Josh Allen, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, absolutely deserving to be in the Pro Bowl. And yeah, that should be used as motivation, but how about Josh Allen not being the first quarterback picked in the 2018 NFL draft? He was the third quarterback off the board. Jordan Poyer was a late-round draft pick that was dismissed from two teams before he got a chance to be a starting safety in the NFL. Micah Hyde. Green Bay didn't even offer him a contract extension. Was a fifth round pick. These guys got plenty of stuff that should fuel them. And this is just another thing to build that chip even bigger on their shoulder. But yes, the overarching theme is that the greatest teams, the greatest athletes and competitors out there always have that chip on their shoulder and they know how to manufacture it. And it fuels them every single day. And it's not necessarily just athletes. Maybe it's your own job or your own profession where you find that reason, you find that motivation, you find whatever it is every day that lights the fire and fuels you to be the very best and compete. So yes, it's absolutely critical and it's just another thing for those guys and this team to manufacture to uh, give them what they need to put them over the top. Jim says, Merry Christmas to you and your family in North Carolina. Thank you, Jim. Merry Christmas to you. A few broadcasts ago, you drew attention to AFC Pro Bowl picks 
for quarterbacks, specifically comparing Lamar Jackson, who was selected for the Pro Bowl, and Josh Allen, who was not. I looked up their statistics. It was an easy search with lots of websites to choose from. My search was made before Week 16 was played. Josh had 100 more completions than Lamar. Josh had 900 more yards, twice as many touchdowns, and a quarterback rating of 97 versus 73, just to name a few of the statistics listed. You did a fine job of gently expressing your opinion a few days ago on that matter. So my question for you is this. If our team stays on track as we hope, wins out this regular season, and takes the AFC East, do you think the national media will address the Pro Bowl snub of Josh? I believe that the players are not too concerned with the Pro Bowl, and obviously nothing will change this year's selection. We just want the rest of the world to acknowledge our franchise quarterback and our team. So I think that most people are surprised that Josh Allen didn't make the Pro Bowl over Lamar Jackson. And maybe I don't consume the same content that you do, but I haven't seen too many people think that Lamar Jackson was deserving and that Josh Allen hasn't been. And I do agree with you. We want that acknowledgement. We want everyone to know what we have in Buffalo and who 17 is as a player. But I haven't seen much in the way of people actually thinking that Lamar Jackson being a pro bowler is defendable. And maybe that's out there, maybe it's not. But I also will push back a little bit on another thing where I've seen it on Twitter and you kind of, you mentioned it here in your, in your message that I believe that players are not too concerned with the Pro Bowl. I think they are. I think they care a lot about it. They want to be recognized for what they're doing on the field. And it's not going to be a situation where it's really going to impact the way they play the rest of the season. If anything, it could be a net positive to them if they don't make it because it gives them even more fuel. But they want that recognition. Make no mistake about it. These guys work extremely hard to be able to perform at the level they do. And when they're deserving of accolades, they want them. And you see it, right? Like you see the players, family members, and wives going to bat for them. Those guys want it. Just how honored they are when they do receive those accolades. They are named to the Pro Bowl. You see how humble and happy they are and grateful. It's got to be the same on the other side of the coin where there's a level of disappointment. And so I do think it matters to them. They're not going to say it. And there's that easy rhetoric that they can go to to talk about them not making it and how it's a team sport and how they're focused on the next game and the team goals, all that type of stuff. But it matters. It matters to everybody, right? Like even whatever line of work everyone has, if there's employee of the month or whatever recognitions that exist out there and you feel like you've done what you should to earn that recognition, you want it. And I think that's only human. And so I do think that they care a lot about it. And maybe maybe you're listening to me and saying, Joe, you're crazy right now. But man, if you work hard like these guys do and you put it out there on the line and you deserve to be named to the Pro Bowl, you want it. The next one today comes from Daniel. Daniel says, we were left for dead in the national media's eyes after the Patriots game a few weeks ago, but we fans all knew we had a path to the head of the division for now as a fan What weight should we put on the pundits who don't actively follow the team? Well, I think for Bills Mafia specifically, there are so many great content creators and podcasters and people that cover this team on the beat. 
that you really don't need to concern yourself with the national media's eyes. And it's difficult, right? Like I have a national podcast, Draft Dudes, where I talk about all of college football and the NFL. And I'm certainly not plugged into every single team and every single program like I am the Buffalo Bills. And so I don't have that deep, intimate knowledge of everything that's going on with every football team in America. And so you're just not going to be as dialed in and you're not going to have as good of insight and opinions. And so continue to support the outstanding people that cover this team on the beat and the outstanding podcasters and content creators out there because you're getting the analysis and information you need at the local level. And so I would trust that. That's where I would focus. And the national media, whatever. It's a tough job to be that dialed in and have truly informed opinions. But if you can't recognize how good this defense is, if you can't recognize how good 17 is, if you can't recognize the job that Sean McDermott's done in Western New York since taking over, then I don't know what to tell you because it's pretty friggin' obvious. Next one today comes from Vin. Vin says, Joe, what a satisfying victory yesterday was. Let me stop there. Like, just for real, right? That was That felt good. I've had some pep in my step on Monday, and I'm not a guy that really takes this stuff personally. I love the Bills. I care a lot. It's the passion of my life, but I don't really let it affect me personally. But man, what a weekend that was. What a game. What a feeling it was to claim that win and put to bed the idea that the evil empire is back. No, they ain't back. This thing runs through Buffalo until it's proven otherwise. And so, yeah, I I do feel it was extremely satisfying. Vin continues to say, Buffalo really may have the deepest wide receiver core in the league. I'm sure you will be asked plenty about Isaiah McKenzie. Yes, I was today. So I would like to ask you something else. Which beatdown of the Patriots do you like more, Sunday's game or last year? The score was closer this year, but after all the hyping the media has done about the Patriots this year, I think this was even better for me. This was a heavy dose of reality for that fan base that Mac isn't remotely close to the level of player that Josh Allen is. Would love to hear your take on this. Yeah, this year was way more satisfying. That team last year was humming, and obviously they played great and scored a ton of points against New England, but we knew that New England was undermanned last year. They didn't have the talent on the roster. This year they were aggressive. They did a lot to add to this football team, and everybody was ready to anoint the New England Patriots again. And they friggin' stole that game in Buffalo. And the Bills lost that game because of the Bills. They had too many self-inflicted wounds. They had every opportunity to win that football game. And so, yeah, this one, this one from Sunday, that's the one. That's the one that I liked a lot more. Because you really kind of quenched the, I would say, even out-of-control hype that existed with that New England team from a lot of people, not everybody. There were people that were smart enough to understand the limitations of Mac Jones and the resume of wins that they had and the manner of that of which they were beating teams wasn't necessarily this surefire recipe and everyone got ahead of themselves about seeing Tom Brady and the Bucks against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl this year. Like All that stuff got completely out of hand. This Patriots team, the one that we see now, they haven't paid their dues. They haven't paid their dues. 
They have to go through some things as a football team before we start elevating to that type of level. That's irresponsible. Just like the Cardinals this year. I've talked about it. The Chargers. Everybody wants to anoint these teams, but they haven't paid their dues. The Bills have paid their dues, man. And so, yeah, this one was very satisfying because you feel like you squashed a lot of those ridiculous narratives that were coming out of so many people's mouths regarding this year's New England Patriots football team. They're a good team. They're a respectable team. They've made this division race very interesting, and they're still in it, right? They still have a chance, but the Buffalo Bills control their own destiny, and they earned that. Buffalo didn't lose to Miami. The Patriots did, and that's why the Bills have that tiebreaker. They split the games with New England and swept Miami where New England lost to Miami. And that's why they have the tiebreaker. And so, yeah, I'm in on this year being more satisfying, and it's going to be even more satisfying in a few weeks when we can say that the Buffalo Bills are back-to-back AFC East champions. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I certainly hope you enjoyed. Tomorrow, we turn our attention to the Atlanta Falcons with our comprehensive primer. We're going to break down that team from every angle. Obviously, not a very familiar opponent for the Bills but we'll get you real familiar with them by the end of our podcast tomorrow. So don't miss it. Make sure that you're subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.